ReachMD XM160 now presents Second Opinion Live with hosts Drs. Matt Bernholtz and Michael Greenberg. Welcome to Second Opinion Live on ReachMD Radio XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Matt Bernholtz. And I'm Dr. Michael Greenberg. We're here, we're live, and we've got a great show for you today, a fabulous show. If you want to participate, you can on the phone, on the web, and on Twitter. As usual, we're covering all kinds of interesting topics. Our phone number is 888-631-7322. That's 888-631-7322. MD1REACH. And today in the ReachMD Forum, we'll be discussing an interesting nationwide trend, doctors working fewer hours. I'm for that. <laughs> despite the physician shortage. Is this really happening, people? And what's behind the change in work habits? And we're also speaking with Dr. Rebecca Patchen, chair of the American Medical Association's Board of Trustees, who is in Washington today after extensive meetings on Capitol Hill. She can and will give us her perspective on the future of healthcare legislation, given the recent efforts to break the Democrat and Republican stalemate. And we'll be checking out this week's poll about cloud computing and whether you would trust your sensitive data to be housed off-site, like really off-site, like in the clouds offset. I'm in the clouds some days. But let's get this show started with an update from the conference floor. This week, we're joining Dr. Joseph Kim in Atlanta, where he's attending HIMSS, H-I-M-S-S, the Healthcare Information and Management Systems Society annual meeting. Tongue twister. Hundreds of companies are showcasing the latest health IT software and hardware, and Joe is there to help us make sense of it all. Welcome, Joe. Hello. Hello, Joe. Joe, I know the Exhibit space is huge, and there's plenty to cover, but can you give us some first impressions about what's new at the show, what will affect doctors' practices? You know, what if anything just looks cool to you? Sure. I mean, I'll tell you, it's it's overwhelming. It's The exhibit floor here is absolutely gigantic. You see um, some really large uh, exhibits from EHR vendors all the way up to hardware solution, uh, hardware providers. And what's exciting as you're walking through it all is that these companies are very, very energetic, they're very enthusiastic, and overall they're collaborating. They realize that they cannot um, produce or develop something by themselves, and therefore they're partnering with various organizations. They're offering what I will call turnkey solutions uh, for hospitals as well as for physician offices. And as a, as a result of all of this, they're actually coming up with some very, very innovative uh, solution packages. And, and that, I think, is, is really one of the new movements that I see in the world of health IT from both the hardware vendor as well as from the software vendor. Any specific examples of some things you've seen that are like, wow? Yeah, it's, it's a little bit difficult to give specific examples without, um, you know, just pin, pinpointing, I guess, uh, specific companies. But, for instance, like... Uh, let's pick on HP, for instance. Everyone thinks of HP as just um, hardware companies. You know, they provide servers and, and laptops and what have you. Uh, but actually, they're partnering with various organizations. And uh, one thing that they have, one initiative they have, is something called the Digital Hospital Initiative. And this is something that they've rolled out in several other countries, and they're st- starting to um, do it here in the United States. Uh, they're implementing things ranging from... Um, from RFID as well as uh, the actual solutions, the, the, the software that's running within the systems, and putting together packages for hospitals to really meet the needs of the clinicians who are, who are in the workplace. So they're partnering with hardware vendors, other, uh, har- you know, other computer companies. Uh, they're partnering with um, various EHR solutions and, and system solutions. And as a result of all of this, they're 
what they have going on is um, is something that I personally think offers hospitals a much easier point of contact because when they have an issue or something comes up, instead of having to sort of search down and find the specific vendor that they then need to approach, they can just essentially approach a single point of contact and have those issues taken care of. And I think that's really the way that um, this, this integration needs to occur as well as the implementation because to convert from paper systems to electronic systems, especially when you're bringing in, say, seven, eight, ten different vendors, um, filling in different gaps, and all of a sudden, say you have a problem in the hospital, sometimes it's difficult to pinpoint where exactly that problem may be from. And then you may call one support line, and they may say, oh, it's not us. You know, you actually have to call this other support line. And then you may be chasing down in terms of the support issues, and as a result of that, it just um, prolongs the process, and it really runs into, uh, or it really um, generates a lot of system inefficiencies. And so in that sense, it's great to see that collaborative model um, going on here at him. That happens to me all the time. Whenever I need help, I never know who to call. Can you do me a favor for the old guys like me? Use less initials. <laughs> Sometimes I don't know what you're talking about. You know, the ABC thing, the HP. He's probably referring to RFID technology. RF- I know he has RFID. No idea what that is. <laughs> Radio Free Indiana or something. <laughs> Close <Yeah>. enough. <laughs> for the audience, RFID stands for Radio Frequency Identification. And it's, it's a technology along with uh, Wi-Fi that's being used in the hospital to actually help locate not only patients, not only nurses, uh, but actual equipment. Uh, you can use technology to say, all right, I need the nearest wheelchair for Mr. Jones, who's right outside of, um, you know, room 302. And you can look on your computer to see where exactly that nearest wheelchair or the nearest ID pump might be, uh, the nearest uh, nurse who might be able to go right to the bedside uh, to take care of an emergency. And they're using this kind of location technology as well and integrating all of that into into various systems. Now, Joe, I hear RFID technology, and I hear definitely a lot of the things that could really advance practices you know, in hospitals, in private practice, you name it. But I also hear a number of the risks. I know a few people, one of whom, Dr. Kevin Fu, a cryptologist over at UMass Amherst, I believe, He's done research, and so have some of his colleagues that have looked at some of the risks of things like RFID technology, you know, the ability to hack into certain of these applications, even pacemakers, which really kind of scared me. Do you have any thoughts on that? I'll tell you, security and, and those kinds of um, concerns are being raised here at HIMSS or having discussions around them. I actually didn't attend any particular sessions on those, but I think all the hardware as well as the solution vendors, they're aware of those problems, um, probably on, a, on the larger scale regarding security is the issue of just hackers hacking into electronic health records and uh, trying to get into patient data. And that's actually being demonstrated by several vendors who just focus just in that security space. And they'll actually show you video demos of how easy it is to actually go in there and hack into a a computer system. And it's actually quite frightening. But on the same side, um, or on the flip side, I should say, because the software as well as the hardware vendors realize how important this issue is, they're investing a lot of resources and, and efforts to make sure that they can maximize um, the security that they offer as well as to minimize the risk for any, any of these kinds of security breaches. Well, thank you. That's why I keep all my patients' medical records on the back of my hand in ink. Well, thanks for being with us today and giving us that information. We really appreciate it. Sure. Not a problem. All right. Now to the ReachMD poll. This week, we're focusing on cloud computing and whether it's right for healthcare systems. Be sure to log on to ReachMD.com slash poll later to check out the poll's homepage. But in the meantime, 
here are some things for us to consider. Cloud computing means basically that the software mm -hmm. and all the information that you have is not stored on your computer. Okay. It's stored up someplace in what they call a cloud, and it's on somebody's server. I'm using it in my office for appointment software, and I use it personally with me.com on my iPhone. And with our appointment software, it's really kind of nice because if somebody comes in and steals our computers, we can just pick up a portable and still get to the appointment software. It's all there. It's all stored someplace else. I think mm -hmm. it's safe, it's secure, and it's much more sophisticated than I think we would have on our own little Mickey Mouse stuff that we used to have. And I like it. Yeah. I mean, we should just say it how it is. I mean, it's basically consolidating all your information from work computers, home computers, handhelds, making a more agile, up-to-date network. I mean, is that basically what we're talking about? When we talk about the cloud, we're just talking about the internet sphere, basically. The... Right. It's not a cloud. Yeah. It's on a server. They call it a cloud because you can't see it. It's off away somewhere in the distance. Basically, let's talk about me.com, for instance, all right, mm -hmm. on my own personal stuff. I throw everything on that cloud. I just keep backing it up and backing it up and backing it up on there. And when I need it, it's just one little icon on my computer screen. I open it up, and everything is there. And I like that it's out of my office. I mean, I do backups, Matt, for my own personal software and in the office for the business software. And I take it home on a little thumb drive every day. Mm -hmm. But what would happen if I lost the thumb drive? You can't lose the cloud. It's yeah. there. You could detach from it for a while, but you can always get back to it. And these clouds can be big enough that you can put almost unlimited amounts of material on there. Yeah, but aren't there inherent security risks in that? I mean, we're talking about losing that personal ability to store your information to know that it is on your thumb drive, for instance. Now you're relying on a server that could be hundreds to thousands of miles away. Of course, it can go down as well. I mean, let's be realistic. We're talking about a cloud and cloud computing, but it's still all centralized to one location, and yeah. that one location can be... Can be knocked out. I, I don't think it's one location. I think they back it up and double and triple back it up. But okay, mm. don't you remember this news story about a month or two ago? I, I don't remember how, exactly how long, where some guy's laptop was left in the car and 500 billion people's insurance information was, was on <laughs> yeah. that laptop and yeah. stolen because he left reported it. On it yeah. Well, you know, I can leave my briefcase somewhere or my thumb drive has dropped out and gotten somewhere. And if somebody has the same basic software as me, they plug my thumb drive in, they have access if they want to you know, try and pick my passwords and mm -hmm. access. We still haven't addressed the bigger question of privacy concerns because we all know that the risks of losing your thumb drive, having that confidential information unveiled, right? But there's still something to be said for having your information in a few different spots, you know, and we did talk about redundancy, but I'm still concerned that if you're having cloud computing, it still relies on some proprietary technology that's owned by one company who charges a subscription rate for you to be part of it. And that one company can be tapped into, or they could use your information for whatever kind of marketing or data mining purposes they, they, they deem fit. They could, and there's a matter of trust there, and there's also probably a HIPAA violation mm -hmm. if they do. I believe, this is just my belief, I can't tell you for sure, that these sophisticated programs that are on clouds, they have much more money than I have, and they're much more capable of putting in up-to-the-minute security for the data that I put on there. And also for losing it. If there's mm -hmm. a fire or a flood or a tornado or a disaster in my office and I lose my backup tape, which I, or maybe I haven't taken it home that night, then I can tend to lose everything. You're talking about offsite backup. That's okay. one thing. Yeah. When you talk about a cloud, you're talking about putting all of your stuff there and your software. I've just found it much better 
for instance, in our appointment software. It's the best we ever had. But it's just the risk that I see in this whole system, that we're in consolidating, we're putting more and more faith upon a select number of companies that can essentially dictate how you're going to practice medicine. You know, this is not like instituting one program and then having a number of different competitors. This is really going to be a potentially monopolized system. I mean, if we're going to put it out there, someone is going to take the majority of control of this quote-unquote cloud. And that's just the one concern I have, because then a lot of practices are relying upon a select number of servers, any of which can go down, and then you have a lot more practices that go down with it. This is true. This is an excellent point. But, this too however, is true. I have to trust that. But that's about all I have to say about clouds, except that they're just lovely. <laughs> now I think it's time to introduce our guest of the day, Dr. Rebecca Patchen, chair of the American Medical Association's Board of Trustees. Dr. Patchen is an anesthesiologist and pain management specialist in Loma Linda, California, and has been a member of the AMA Board of Trustees since 2003. She joins us today from Capitol Hill in the setting of the recent Health Reform Summit and more currently, the AMA's National Advocacy Conference. Dr. Patchen, great to have you with us today. Well, hello, doctors. It's oh, good to be with you as hi. well. <laughs> well, listen, so, you know, this is so timely because every time you turn on the news, today, every hour, something new is happening. There's a lot of turmoil out there in Washington. Give us your view on what's really happening as of right now. I mean, the president was on today and uh, things are happening. Now is the time to make a decision, we heard. Right. Well, it is the time. And what the president released today was uh, a call to action for uh, the Senate and House. Each of them have passed bills. There's a difference, and they're not the same. And so he outlined of what he thought was important. Um, it is a busy day. Uh, folks are having hearings, and they're having meetings. We had uh, 800 doctors here with our conference, and they're talking to their senators and representatives. And we've been meeting with the leadership in the House and Senate over the last couple of days. But there's a couple important things in the president's call to action for for doctors and for physicians and, more importantly, for our patients. Is he, again, focused on the importance of uh, medical liability reforms? He uh, identified and highlighted that Medicaid payments are not adequate and increased dollars need to go there. His goals of improving access uh, are there. He picked up on the Republican uh, ideas of increasing the use and uptake of health savings accounts. And he, t again, focused on the need to re repeal the flawed Medicare payment formula. Uh, with the physicians we had in Congress or meeting with their Congress this week, they were talking very uh, intently with their senators and asking them to get going on a permanent repeal of the flawed Medicare payment formula. The House passed a bill last fall, but the Senate hasn't been able to find a, uh, the path for a permanent repeal or a permanent fix in this flawed reimbursement formula, and they're into temporary fixes. The temporary fix that they passed in December was for 60 days. It expired on Monday, and it was late last night that the Senate finally passed a even temporary repeal or temporary um, fix for 30 days, and uh, the president signed it last night. 
But it's important for your listeners to know that that AMA does not support any more temporary fixes. We need a permanent fix of this system. I think we know that, and uh, we don't support that either out here. I would listen to doctors in the luncheon. They're getting kind of angry with Congress. Well, there's something they can do. They can call their senator, and if they're not sure what the number is, I can give you the 800 number for our grassroots network, and the physicians who are angry can call and talk to their senators or their senator's staff and tell them it's important to repeal this flawed payment formula to preserve access to physician services for Medicare, TRICARE, and and retired military. And that number is 800-833-6354. Say that again, because that's an important number, please. 800-800-833-6354. And just not doctors should call. We should have all of our patients calling, flooding the numbers. Just flood it, because now this is only 30 days, and it expires again on April one. And this this is just craziness and insanity that this system that Congress made a promise to seniors to provide medical care and access to physicians and hospitals, that every 30 or 60 days the payment expires. There's a 21% cut if Congress doesn't do these temporary Band-Aids. And physicians can't afford to keep their office doors open with a 21% cut in in payment. So, Rebecca, we've been through clearly seven, uh, several rounds of, of delays, um, you know, for a year, for a month. Um, I'm, I'm curious, you know, what is your take on how likely you think it is that the sustainable growth rate formula, or SGR, is going to get repealed? And if so, what should take its place? Well, there, the House had a, a phase-in for uh, several years. Uh, they were going to repeal it. They were going to eliminate the paper, uh, like credit card debt that Congress has used as a, a, a funny accounting scheme for uh, covering the temporary fixes that they've made since 2002. And they would replace it with another payment formula over the next five years. And we would work with Congress to help to define one that was fair to physicians and would improve access for Medicare patients. But this, you're right, it's absolutely crazy. It's, it's an unreliable, uh, system. It's not sustainable, uh, at the current way. And physicians need to know to plan for how many office staff they're going to have. What kind of, you were just talking about IT, what kind of IT expenditures they were going to do, both hardware and software in their office to convert to electronic records, um, what, you know, just what they're going to do for, to sustain their practices. And if you have only 30 and 60 day and six month fixes, how can you make some long term investments to improve the care for your patients other than just stopgap continuing on? And what we're trying to do is move to a new electronic interconnected uh, way of storing and sharing those records with appropriate privacy safeguards so that each of us can have access to the records that we need on our patients. 
right? I think the point you make, it's crazy to run an office and think that you're going to get cut down by 20%, but all your expenses are going up. And at some point, your focus as a doctor becomes more upon survival than taking care of patients. And that's not what we want. It's important to remember that if they talk freeze, that's really a cut because, as you said, all your expenses are up. Since 2002, we've only had a 1% increase in Medicare payment. And I I don't think my electric pill has even stayed with a 1% increase for a year. Right. We're the, only in- <laughs> we're the only industry where our fees are set but our expenses can go up, and at some point those lines have to cross. And they have. And what we know is that even by the government's own advisory committee called MedPAC, the cost of practice goes up 2 to 3% every year. And when you think of since 2002, we've only had a 1% increase. We're way behind um, on just that. And that's why um, it's difficult for physicians to maintain a practice in in many areas, and in, in some specialties are, are more acutely there. Most of Congress knows it's a problem. Physicians have communicated that it's a problem. But what they need to tell their Senate, because the House has has taken action and passed a bill last fall, so they need to tell their senators what difficulty this unreliable, unsustainable system is causing them. We gave the 800 number, which is 800-833-6354, and your listeners also, both physicians and patients, can go to our health system reform website and sign up for alerts and key contacts. So anytime there's breaking news back here on the health system reform bills, we'll send out an advisory alert, and they can get that electronically too. And that website is www.hsreform.org. And that's another way to stay informed about what's going on back here. Well, if anything, at least the message is made clear uh, from you on the radio waves that stopgap measures may work for the legislators who have a couple years uh, of their uh, term thinking in terms of re-elections. doesn't work for the physicians out there who have to think long-term. No, it doesn't. And it doesn't work for our patients either. Exactly. Because we're hearing about increasing number of physicians and practices that have to survive are having to limit the number of Medicare or Medicaid patients that are seen in their practice. And that's not what we want. We want to be able to take care of all patients. All right. Let me ask you a question. In the beginning, you gave us about 25,000 different points that need to be handled in the bill. How do you keep track of all these? How is the AMA keeping track of all these points when we approach Congress? Again, all of our communications to Congress are open and transparent, and we'll post them on the HS Reform website. They're under the resource area. So the letters that we've sent saying what we like, what we don't like about the pieces of legislation are all listed there. And what we're going to, what we will do is because today the president issued what I would call a call to action. Um, it was conceptual, and it's not in final legislative language, that once we can see that legislative language, the AMA um, 
will review it and the Board of Trustees will review it and compare it with our existing AMA policy. And then only then, then and only then would we take a position on this most recent proposal. That makes sense. I mean, it, it seems like a, a good direction to go. And we only have a couple minutes, so we want to make sure that we give you a chance to update us a little bit on the National Advocacy Conference. We know you're out there right now on the on the conference floor, and you were even part of a panel with the MA's president, with the past president, with the president-elect. You shared perspectives on the uh, advocacy agenda. Any top-of-mind thoughts or priorities that uh, and You've got about up? 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to rush you, but... <laughs> Well, our main focus at the advocacy conference here was to communicate to the Senate um, the need to, for a permanent repeal of this flawed Medicare payment formula. And on the panels, we did go through the history of health system reform and the AMA's positions and talked about where it is. But until the president came out with his uh, call to action today, uh, folks were kind of just hovering on health system reform. But the Medicare payment formula is real. We now have a temporary pause or freeze for 30 days, but it's important for every listener to call their senator, both of them, All right. and communicate that it needs to be fixed permanently now. Well, we'll try and do it. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for your time, doctors. Thank you. All right. So Bye. everybody get out there and call. Have all of your patients call, too. Agreed. All right. So, on to the ReachMD Forum, Matt. We know there aren't enough physicians in the United States to meet healthcare demands. We all know that. Yet, for the first time in 30 years, the number of hours that an average physician is working has actually dropped. I don't know. I'm working harder and longer. That trend was reported as part of a study in the Journal of the American Medical Association. So, the study shows that between 1977 and 97, non-resident physicians worked an average of about 55 hours per week, which I know a lot of our listeners are thinking, yeah, I don't need that I work that 55 average. hours a day. Yeah, exactly. But from 98 to 2008, the average dropped to about 51 hours per week, which you know is probably attributed to that one person who works four hours a week right. <laughs> and calls it a day. That's still a lot of hours a week, obviously, but this drop in hours is the equivalent of losing 36,000 doctors from the workforce. So the question obviously comes up, what could possibly explain the change in work habits? What do you think? Well, first of all, we've got Gen X physicians, younger doctors who have different philosophies about medicine than us old guys. Okay. They, right. Younger doctors place a lot more emphasis on their work-life balance. They want to, they'd rather work less and have more family time, which I think is valid. Yeah, but I think that's a little bit of a myth. Well, I mean, maybe. Put it out there. But there's another myth. We want to say this is a myth, ladies, don't call us. There's a commonly flowed a myth that an increasing number of female doctors lowers the average by working fewer hours than their male counterparts. Yeah, I have a lot of friends who would disagree ardently I understand that. that. <laughs> in both cases, it's not really so true. The work hours has declined across all demographic groups, okay. both male, female, younger, and older, and regardless of whether they were in solo practice or were employed. Hmm. Now, if I remember, there was one notable correlation that they put forth in this study at JAMA. And it's not necessarily caused, but it seems to have been interesting. The study did report that hours did correlate strongly with the fee index from the prior year. So inflation-adjusted physician fees fell 25% in the decade the hours fell, and hours seemed to fall most in areas with the lowest well, fees. Well, I understand that. Because, you know, you figure if you've got one more patient left and it's going to take you a half an hour, Medicare is going to pay you $26 yeah, for that half squad. an hour. What? I'll go home. What the heck? Yeah. I, I don't need to stay for that. I'll go home and hang out with my family. I can understand that. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, at first it, it seemed a little counterintuitive. You think that you'd be seeing many more patients to try to meet with uh, 
increasing overhead and uh, less reimbursement. But that's really not the case as it's playing out from the study. Right. Well, on the other side of the coin, I understand the physician productivity has gone way up. Incomes declined far less than you'd expect based on lower fees and decreased work hours, suggesting that we're figuring out how to earn more in less time. And I that's interesting. You know, I can't, I'm looking at my own practice. I can't figure out how to do that. I'm, <laughs> I'm working. <laughs> how did you get more efficient? I don't Somehow know. Somehow you did, on, if average plays out. Somehow you became way more efficient over well, the last 10 years. Well, I think you do. And I think part of the thing is you learn to say things more quickly and more clearly to people. We've learned to use handouts and information systems rather than my sitting and explaining longer to patients and use ancillary people in the office to do more things that I would do so I can spend more time at the heart of the issue when I'm not, for instance, answering a lot of phone calls that my nurses can handle. Yeah. But what you're describing is an evolution of the doctor's practice, essentially. You're describing your pathway to becoming a more, a leaner, fitter physician. But it seems that this trend has occurred across all demographics, across all age groups. So something has made us more efficient on average, regardless of how far we are along in our training, how efficient we are just in terms of uh, amount of time that we spend per patient visit. You know, you're very, very lean and fit. We all know that in every sense of the word. You can definitely move quickly through your patient encounters. You know how to do this. You've been at this for a long time. But people who haven't been practicing as long, there's still some sort of average here that the demographics are playing out. Well, the thing I worry about is, are we giving less care? I don't know the answer to that because I'm working harder. I'm trying not to give less care, but, but maybe we are, and that's how we're doing it. Well, and we also have to point to the MPs, PAs. I mean, I think their introduction has really advanced the practice. It's made it much more efficient. Absolutely. And that about does it for us here on Second Opinion Live. Apparently, we've still got some health reform to take care of before our next show. Who would have known? So we're going to get on that. Saving the U.S. healthcare system one show at a time. I'm Dr. Matt Bernholtz. And for more about Second Opinion Live on ReachMD, visit our website at reachmd.com sol. Feel free to give us a shout on Twitter, online, and on Facebook. You can also follow us on your iPhone, if you're a cloud especially. Until next time, I'm Dr. Michael Greenberg. Thank you for joining us. Keep your radio dialed into ReachMDXM160. Take care, everyone. <laughs>